Village Church Saints. That's better. Well, if you want to dethrone the pastor and the chili kick off, some of you guys kept your game up this year. So, if you want to dethrone me, you got to step up your game. Hey, I didn't say I didn't have pride. I'm always honest about mine. So if you have your Bible, open it to Judges chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 32 again today. And here is God's word to his people. That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the shearer that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of it on the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the shearer that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die. For he had broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends from him should be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbabel, so it is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Please pray with him for me. Father God, as we come to the preaching of your word, I pray that your spirit, Lord, will move. I pray that your spirit, Lord, will come and give us insight. That he will come and minister to our hearts. There's a lot that's in your word, Lord, and we don't understand all of it. We don't understand it, Lord, apart from your spirit coming and and giving us enlightenment, giving us understanding. You know the idols that exist in our hearts. You know my idols, Lord. And so I do pray that the Holy Spirit will come and reveal to us the idols that we don't see. And then when he shows them to us, Lord, we will take them to the cross and we will repent of them. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will move, encourage the bride of Christ here today, and most of all, give glory to Christ alone. And in his name we pray. Amen. There needs to be an awakening within the church in America today. This is something I said last week. An awakening uh, within your own life, maybe. And so the question is, do you see it? Do you feel it? 
And I'm not talking about a forced awakening. I'm talking about a reformation awakening. The kind of awakening that would lead us and the church to reexamine ourselves according to God's word in order to maintain purity and doctrine and practice. We are a reformed church, yes, but we're to always be reforming as well. And that's reforming according to God's word. You see, a church reformed and always reforming knows that the slip into idolatry is always an easy slip. It's an easy slip to fall into idolatry. For a church reformed and always reformed knows she has issues still. And so the Reformation Awakens needs to happen within the church, within our country, within this church, within your lives, within your family, within all believers and even unbelievers. Just like it awakens in the book of Judges with the Lord's calling of Gideon to be the fifth judge of Israel. You see, we all know the Lord called him to deliver the people from the hands of the Midianites because they were oppressing God's people. But before Gideon can bring deliverance, the Lord has to deal with his idolatry and the idolatry within the whole community because they don't just need deliverance from oppression, they need reformation from their idolatry because their idolatry is the reason they were in oppression. And so the Reformation Awakens does this. It brings reform. We all need reform at some point. It it brings reformation. It brings a rejection to idolatry for you, for me, for the church, for Israel, and even for Gideon. And rejecting your idols is not always easy. It's not always easy. It's not as easy as it sounds, particularly if it's really, really close to your heart. It can be hard. It can cause you a dilemma. It can even put you at odds with other Christians. And Gideon knows that. See, last week when we left our dear brother, he was in a dilemma because of the command he received from the Lord. It was a command to, to have brought him down from his spiritual high because, no, before the Lord came to him again, he had this great experience with the Lord. The Lord didn't give him any commands. He made promises to him. You're going to do this. Oh, mighty man of valor, you're going to do all these things. You're going to deliver Israel. But the Lord came to him again and said, now I need you to do something else before you do this. He commands him to put, put to death his idols. And this command was going to put him at odds with his family. And he wasn't jumping up and down about it. It was a command to reject the idols he was born to raise. And as I said last week, Gideon's father owned the altar. It was on his land. And so Gideon worshipped idols as well as his family. So the Lord says to him, take your father's bull, your father's second bull, and I want you to pull down the altar of Baal. And I want you to cut down the Asherah tree that is beside it. The Lord is clear to the point. Cut down the tree. Pull down the altar. Now there's some debate on whether or not Gideon has to take two bulls. Some believe it's just one bull. But I believe he has to take two animals here. And the first animal that he's called to take is a young working bull. 
one that is used to till and plow the land. And the Lord said, I want you to take this first bull and I want you to use it to pull down the altar to destroy it. And that's significant. Do you know why? Baal is a Canaanite god that is often portrayed as a bull. It's a Canaanite god often portrayed as a bull. And in the ancient world, the bull was worshipped as a god in most cultures. And so now we have this, this animal that is a symbol of strength and power, this animal that is, that is often worshipped as a god, we have this animal now going to be used to destroy the god that it's supposed to represent. That's what the Lord is doing there. You're going to take this bull and you're going to pull down this altar for me. That's what you're going to do, Gideon. And you're going to cut down the sacred tree of Asherah. And Asherah is, a, is the goddess of happiness and fortune. So Gideon's first act as a judge is to clean out his own house, to get his own house in order, to deal with the idolatry in his own life, in his own family, in his own community, within the church. He's cleaning out the idols. And remember what idolatry is. And why the Lord hates it. Idolatry is you giving the praise, the fear, the loyalty, and the allegiance that belongs to Jesus and giving it to someone else. That's idolatry. That's why he hates it. You give all his glory to someone else, to something else. All of our hearts is an idol magnet. Man, it is. The heart of the church is an idol magnet. All we do is we attract magnets left and right. We have a lot of magnets, a lot of idols covering our hearts. And the Reformation Awakens is calling out to each of you this morning, saying to you, will you reject them? Will you reject the idols of your ethnic culture? Will you reject the idols of of our American culture? Will you pull them down? Will you cut them down? I'm teaching a senior Bible class at Westminster Christian Academy this year for two weeks. I'm finishing up on Wednesday. I'm teaching second and third period. It's called Faith in Transition. These are high school seniors, and as they transition out of their parents' house, their faith has to become their faith, not just their mom and dad's faith. That's Faith in Transition. And so one of the questions I asked them, I said, "What is? give me some of the temptations that you're going to face in college next fall, or some of the temptation that you're currently facing. They gave me a lot of good answers. But one of the answers that I loved the most was from a young lady in my third period class. She said, acceptance. Acceptance. Think about that. Acceptance as a temptation. Acceptance as an idol. Acceptance as your God. Acceptance as your Savior. All of us, myself included, has at some point bowed down to the God of acceptance. And some of you are bowing down to it now. This not how I read your Facebook pages, but come on. I know what you post. I see it. We bow down to it. And you read mine too. And, and what's behind this God of acceptance is really fear of man. Fear of man. That's what's behind that God of acceptance. Because what? You want approval from other people. You want to be included in certain groups. You want to be liked by certain people. And the, God, and the fear of man, this is what the fear of man would do to you when you're bound down to it. The fear of man will lead you to worship some and hate others. 
The fear of man will lead you to see others as heroes and others as villains. The fear of man, we all do it. Crown others as gods and others as devils. We all struggle with the fear of man. And so my question for you is how does the fear of man work itself out in your life? Look at, the, look at Christians that you know. How do they engage in American politics? How do they operate? How do they function in certain movements and want to support and don't support? Is it fear of God or fear of man and how they act? How do you act? How do you respond? John Bunyan says, the fear of man is the fear of losing man's favor, love, goodwill, and friendship. It's the soul's default setting. Mm, 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 mm. It's the soul's default setting. It's to fear man and not God. So how does that work itself out in your life, in your family, in your relationships, in school, in this country, in your neighborhoods? For me, this is how it works itself out in my life. I want acceptance and approval from certain people. As a pastor, there are certain people I want to tell me I'm doing a good job. And when they tell me I'm doing a good job, then, yeah, I feel good. It's seen in certain things that I support and things I don't support. So we all struggle with this idea of fear of man. It's, it's an idol for all of us, but do you see it? And when the Spirit shows it to you, are you willing to cut down the tree? Are you willing to pull down the altar? Fear of God a fear of man cannot coexist in your life. Can't have two gods. Can't have two saviors. You're going to love one and hate the other. So who's on the throne of your life? Is it Jesus? Or is it really man? Who is it? Yahweh Elohim is a jealous, 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 jealous God. And he will not yield his glory to another. Every time you want to make him coexist with your idols, this is what he's saying to you. This is what he's going to say to you. Homie, don't play that. You have the wrong one. It's either me or them. I am your God. I'm the one who redeemed you. I'm the one who went to the cross for you. None of these other things did. And so I would not coexist. I would not share my worship space with any other idol. His worship space is your heart. Who are you sharing his worship space with right now? Who is there trying to get in on God's territory? And you allowed him to slide on in on his territory. You know what it is. The one thing you feel like you can't live without. What is it? Do you believe these things? Do you accept them? Gideon believes, begins to believe it. He's processing what the Lord is commanding him to do. And he realizes He's beginning to see that I can't worship God and Baal at the same time. I can't fear Yahweh and also fear Baal. Somebody has to come down. One, one altar has to come down before another one goes up. Because God wants all of Gideon's worship. He wants all of his honor, 
all of his loyalty, all of his allegiance. He don't want it on a part-time basis. He wants all of it full-time. Because he's not a part-time God or a part-time Savior. He didn't save you from part of your sins. He saved you from all of them. If he just saved you from part-time sins, if he's a part-time Savior, yes, you're in trouble. You ain't made right. He wants all of your worship. So the Reformation awakens. Don't just lead to a rejection of idolatry. It leads to restoration of true worship. Restoration of true communion. Restoration of true fellowship. Listen to the second command the Lord gives to Gideon. He says, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. And then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the shearer that you shall cut down. Do you see what the, what the Reformation Awakening is doing to Gideon? It's moving him from rejection to restoration. Rejection of false gods and being restored to the one true God. The Lord calls him to build an altar to Yahweh your Elohim. That's the first time those words are used in this section with Gideon. I want you to build an altar to Yahweh your Elohim. Not Baal your Elohim. Yahweh your Elohim. And this altar is different from the altar that he built previously, which was Yahweh's peace. This altar is communicating that I am your God and not Baal. I'm your God and not Baal. You're building an altar to me and not to him. Gideon is moving from rejection to restoration. You see, his worship, his fear, his loyalty, his praise is being restored to the place that it needs to be. And that is with Yahweh. Is your worship your allegiance, your affection, are they resting in the right place at this moment? Are they resting with Jesus? Are they resting with other saviors who are not saviors at all? The altar of the Lord and the altar of Baal can't coexist. Listen, God didn't say, okay, you see that Baal altar? Now I want you to build my altar right beside it. Does he tell him that? No. Before my altar goes up, that altar has to come down. You're going to pull it down. And then you're going to build my in its place. You're going to build my in its place on this very mountain. And so that's what he tells him to do. Build my altar on this stronghold right here. This is the Lord exerting his authority. This is him reclaiming what's his. This is him telling Bell, you need to get to stepping. This is my house. This is my mountain. This is my people. Their praise and their worship belongs to me. And no one else. Yahweh is the one true God and everlasting king. He is the great I am. Not Baal. Not your idols. Yahweh led them up from Egypt. He brought them out of the house of slavery, not Baal. He delivered them from all those who oppressed them. He's the one who gave them the lands of all the pagan people, not Baal. 
And then, and so by them going and worshiping these gods, it's them spitting in his face, claim acting as if they did these things. He parted the Red Sea for them. He brought them out of bondage. And so when you give your affections to idols, that is saying, I don't really care, Lord, that you did this for me. I believe these things are worth my praise, things that ain't really God's. So if you are a believer and you know that you just died on the cross for your sins and you live for idols, it's as if you're saying, I don't really care that you died for me, bled for me. Who else is going to die for you? Who's going to die for your sins? Who's going to die to make you right with God? Who's going to love you like Jesus loves you? Who's going to sacrifice what Jesus sacrificed for you? Or will your money do that? What man in this world is going to die for your sins? What thing, what car, what experience is going to give up everything just for you? Nothing. They won't. No one will love you like Jesus loves you. No one will give what Jesus gave to make you right with God. So God, at this moment, is reclaiming what is rightly his. He's throwing out the idols in Israel, throwing out the idols in Gideon's life, and reclaiming what is his. His worship and the fear of his people belong to him. They are his people. You are his people. But do you believe that? Do you believe that you're God? You belong to him. You're his. You're his kids, his sons, his daughters. Nancy tells Gideon to offer an offering on the altar with the wood from the tree that he just cut down. I mean, God is turning things up here. He's turning over every stone. Turning over every stone. He is changing this pagan worship site into a Yahweh worship site. Please understand that. What Israel has set up here is a Canaanite worship site. It's a worship site. They go there to worship. And, Yah- and God, is, it's like Jesus coming in, cleaning out the temple. Yahweh is cleaning out the temple here. This is my worship site. I'm reclaiming it. So you take this bull seven years old, you're going to sacrifice it to me. The burnt offering is a gift totally devoted to the Lord. The people don't consume this offering. And what it signifies is that the worshiper is willing to surrender himself to the Lord. That's what this means. That Gideon is surrendering himself to the Lord. Restoration is taking place in this ceremony when Gideon does this. Restoration of true worship, restoration of community, communion, and fellowship. The Lord is restoring his people to himself. So what does this mean for us in 2016? How do we apply these verses? Does does restoration mean you need to go build an altar in your backyard and start sacrificing bulls? Please don't do that. That would just be weird. (laughs) Please don't do that. You don't have to build an altar. There's no need because the altar has already been provided. Keep in mind, we know what Gideon doesn't know. We see what he hasn't seen yet. 
We know that God provided the altar, which is the cross and the sacrifice and the offering is Jesus. We know that. That's our altar. That he is the only one who can atone for our sins to make you right with God. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you don't have faith in Jesus and you're looking for peace and you're looking for purpose and freedom, then you can only get that in Christ. There's an idol you can bow down to that's going to make you right with God. Even if you want all that money in the Powerball, you still ain't going to be happy. Now, you can pay for the search, as Prince says. But at the end of the day, it ain't going to give you what your heart is truly looking for. And that is looking for a Savior. That's what it's looking for. So my question to you is, will you come to Jesus if you don't know him? Will you come and confess to him that you are a sinner? Will you come and confess your need of him? Will you come and surrender to him in faith? Because I can tell you, there's nothing in this world that's going to ever satisfy you. Your deepest need, that hole in your heart, that longing that you're longing for, is a longing for God. Because your heart was created for him, not for the other things you give your heart to. That's why you ain't never satisfied. That's why when you get this thing, you got to have something else. That's why when you get this other thing, you got to have something else. Because your heart is saying, these things can't do it, buddy. It needs Jesus. And until it finds Jesus, you will always feel incomplete, restless, never satisfied. Ever. Until it comes home to him. Now, if you're here and you already know Jesus and you already have faith in him, please know that your heart is still prone to wander from the God you say you love, as the old hymn says. Because remember, even as believers, we, we still have idolatry issues. There are things that we still bow down to. And so restoration for you, if you're already a believer, restoration of true worship and communion and fellowship means you first confess that you are an idol junkie. Admit it. Be real about it. Don't live in denial. Be honest with yourself. Yes, this is an idol for me. Yes, that's an idol for me. Yes, winning the chicken cook, chili cook-off every year is an idol. God, it's an idol. That's own it. Own it. What relationship you have is an idol. What is it? Own it. When you own it, then you confess it. You repent of it. And thirdly, after you confess it, after you repent of it, thirdly means there are certain things you may just have to stop doing. Because whatever you're doing owns you. You don't own it. There are certain people you might not need to hang out, hang out with anymore. There are certain activities you may need to take a break from. Because it's an idol that gets in the way of God, God's, gets in the way of your worship to God. So you know what those things are. You know them. You know them. And the question is, are you willing to pull down the tree? Because I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't coexist. He doesn't cohabitate. I don't care what the bumper sticker says, coexistence. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that in the life of his people. He doesn't do that in the life of the church. Be honest with ourselves. 
Reformation calls out to you, just like it calls out to Gideon. And it will bring you restoration. It will bring you, lead you to reject idolatry. And when you do that, we all struggle. And I'm not here trying to be anybody up. But I am here to help us to have self-awareness about the things that we still struggle with as believers. Because here in this text, God is not going to the Midianites. He's going to Israel. These are Israelites who are living in idolatry. And so the church, outside of what the American culture does, the church still has issues in our country. We still need need reformation. As I said last week, if we're not reforming, you can't expect a pagan world to reform to to our values if we're not reforming to them. (laughs) You want to hold people who don't know Jesus to the standards of Jesus, and you don't hold to the standards yourself. Doesn't make any sense. Be the church. And if we're the church, we'll impact the culture. If we're the church. Don't expect the culture to impact us. We impact culture by being who we are, who we're redeemed to be. So when Jesus shows you the stuff, go with confidence to the throne of grace and confess it, and he will heal it. He will give you freedom from that. You will struggle with idolatry, but you do not have to live in it with an unrepentant heart. Now last, there's a third thing that the Reformation Awakening leads to. It may lead to resistance by some church folk who don't want Reformation. I hope you realize that. There are certain Christians who don't, who don't want Reformation. There are certain people in the church who don't want to see reform because they love their idols way too much. Because again, who is getting and dealing with? Who is God coming to? He's coming to his people. In these verses. And there's certain ones that we get ready to see are not going to be very, very happy about Gideon's actions. It's not the Midianites that's coming. It's other Jewish men that's coming who are upset because he tore down their idols. So, some believers are content with their idolatry. And when you start messing with their idols, they get mad. They want to say things. They want to gossip. They want to hurt you back. So Gideon has some reservations, and he's afraid because he knows that certain people are not going to be pleased by his actions. So fear doesn't paralyze him. He still does it. Verse 27 says Gideon takes ten men to go and do what the Lord told him to do. But because he was afraid of his family and afraid of the men of the town, he does it by night instead of by day. Now, I don't, I don't hate on getting in here because I probably did the same thing. Because we're a lot more afraid of things than we often realize. He has fear of man issues, too. He knows that certain people are going to be upset by this altar and tree being cut down. He knows there's going to be resistance. He fears his life might even be in jeopardy. He's afraid of his family and a townsman. So he does it by night like a special ops mission. Going in in secret, we're going to do this, and then Gideon disappears, okay? He's not even mentioned the next verse is coming. I mean, he's MIA. He does the deed, and he is gone. This brother's hiding in his daddy's house. Now, he does it, but he's scared. Now, some people say, well, he's just a coward. What do you think? I don't think he's a coward. I think he's just a human being with issues. 
Because if you've got a mob of people who are going to be at you, you're going to be hustling with hiding too. Okay, how much faith do you think you have? We still human beings and we still have things that we're afraid of. Because everyone talks a good game until in a situation where they got to man up. Gideon does it, but he doesn't do it without issues. I love the Bible letting people be people. And Mike Tyson says, everybody got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> everybody got a plan until they get punched in the face. And when you get punched in the face by Mike Tyson, all your plans go out the door. <laughs> and so Gideon did his deed, and now there were going to be some resistance coming his way. The next morning, the men in the town wake up. And when they get up, to their surprise, they're in shock. They're like, hey, the, the Baal's altar is broken down and, and the tree is cut down. Now, who did this? Not only that, the dispatcher bull for, that's used for sacrifices has been sacrificed on this new altar. And so they're hot. They're mad. These Israelites, mad because their pagan gods have been destroyed. They're so angry. They searched the whole town looking for answers. And they finally found out who did it. Remember, Gideon had ten men. One of those guys talked. That's how they found out. Somebody said something. So Gideon's deed did not go unnoticed. It all led back to him. So eventually the men come. They go to Gideon's daddy's house. And they tell him, we want your son. Give us your son that he may die. Think about that. Not so we can rough him up. We're going to kill him. Israelites willing to kill another Israelite because he broke down their false gods, the altars of their false gods. Can you see how messed up things are in Israel right now? You see what idolatry does to people, to Christians, to the church? We turn on each other quickly. We turn on each other left and right. So Gideon is nowhere to be found, as I said. He's hiding in his dad's house. But I believe Yahweh uses his daddy to protect him. Because his dad doesn't give him up. He doesn't give him up. He, he says to these men, will you contend with Baal? Will you save him? Whoever contends with him will be put to death in the morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. So basically, he says, let Baal fight his own battles if he's a god. Does he need man to defend him? Does he need his worshipers to stand up for him and fight his battles? So the Lord uses getting his pagan worshiping dad to protect him. Please see that. That's what's taking place there. God working on Gideon's behalf, even though Gideon's in the house hiding. God is still working on his behalf. Still working on his behalf. I know things worked out for Gideon. He didn't die. He got a new name. But these Israelites were willing to take his life because of idolatry. The same thing happens in the life of the church. It happens in the life of the church. We can be willing to destroy one another over idols. We do it in politics. We do it in movements. And Jesus is not pleased. I found this quote from L. R. Martin. It's a great quote. He says, It is not that we have lost our will to fight, but that we, by the Israelites of the inner judges, we fight among ourselves as believers. Fighting over, instead of fighting against the oppressor. We fight over ecclesiastical politics. We fight over budgets. We fight over recognition. We fight over personal rights. We fight over fine points of theology. We fight over denominational pride. 
Our energy is expended by internal strife so that we have no strength to fight for the weak, for the poor, for the disenfranchised. If we serve Baal, who is left to offer hope to the alcoholic, the drug addict, the prostitute, the laid-off factory worker, the abandoned child, the widow, the single mother? Look at the church in America. Are we truly one? Or we deal with a lot of internal strife. I hope you know that's distractions from the enemy to get us off focus. Distractions from the enemy to get us off focus. That's what it does. We have to confess our bells and finally unite as a body of Christ and fulfill our purpose in this country, and that is to be salt and light. And we can't do it if we're tearing each other apart over things, issues that have no bearings on our eternal soul. There are people who are dying who don't know Christ. But we fuss over politics. We fuss over stained glass windows, carpet in the church. What type of songs we're going to sing? Does the pastor wear suits or not? Those things have no bearings on people's eternal soul. It's a distraction to get you off point and off focus. Do you see that? That the enemy is always at work in the things that goes on. That our enemy is not flesh and blood. That's the power of the, of, 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 in the spiritual forces of evil. So my prayer says the Spirit shows you your idols. Don't beat yourself up. Don't live in shame. Don't live in guilt. Take it to the cross. Ask Jesus to help you and ask you not to live in it. That's what you have to do. Pray for the church. Pray for us that we will be salt and light. America is in dying times now. I don't know if you know that. But it's the opportunity for the church to lead. To lead. And set the example to point things to Christ. But will we do it? We won't do it if we bow down to other gods. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you always provide a way for your people to reform. You will always restore them. You will always provide. And I pray, Lord, that, we, that none of us will ever get to a place on this side of heaven where we don't have idols and struggle with idols. But when we do, Lord, we have a Savior that we can go and, and go to because he died because of the sins that we struggle with. And so I pray that you will give us self-awareness, show us the things in our heart that we really don't see. Our hearts deceive us all the time, Lord. Something can be an idol and we don't even know it. And so I just pray that you will show these things to us, that you will change us, that you will mold us. I pray for those who are here who may not know you. I pray that you will continue to work in their heart. I pray for those who are here who know you, but they're struggling, Lord. They're dying. I pray that you would minister to their unbelief and remind them and restore them and know, let them know that you are a God who is forever faithful, even though your people are very faithless. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.